What's going on, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of the Up Before You podcast with me, Connor Warman. This episode of the Up Before You podcast is brought to you by Ticket Weirdo. With concert and game season just around the corner, the timing is perfect for those of you listening who want to plan your summer events. We've teamed up with Ticket Weirdo to make buying tickets this season super affordable. What's great about Ticket Weirdo is they are the only ticket site that doesn't charge you hidden service fees and also donates a portion of your purchase to charity. Check them out by simply going to TicketWeirdo.com and typing in code UBY at checkout to save an extra 10% off unlimited ticket purchases throughout the year. Once again, that's UBY at checkout to save an extra 10% off your ticket purchases and to keep it weird this summer. Now guys, if you have a moment, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show and leave a 5-star rating and a review. It only takes a second and is a great way to support the show, and the feedback means a lot to me. If you like this episode of the podcast, please share with family and friends and share via social media and make sure to tag Up Before You. And lastly, go follow us on Instagram and Facebook and visit upbeforeyou.com to keep up to date with all the latest episodes, news, and updates surrounding the show. Okay, my guest today is Tim Paulson. Tim is a CrossFit Games athlete who has made appearances at the Games in 2017, 2018, and 2019, with his best finish coming in 2017 as he took 19th place. He also co-owns two affiliates in New York. On this episode of the podcast, we talk about his days playing hockey, why he ultimately quit, how he found CrossFit, qualifying for his first regional in 2013, making it to the Games for the first time in 2017. We then talk about the future of the CrossFit Games and CrossFit sanctional events, Wadapalooza, what Tim wants to do after his competitive days come to an end, and much more. I truly hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. And now, with all that being said, let's get on with the show. So I want to get started here. Can we talk a little bit, a little bit about you growing up in your childhood? Yeah, so I grew up uh, in Media, Pennsylvania. It's a suburb of Philadelphia, like 25 minutes kind of southwest of the city. Um, I have a younger sister. She's two years younger than I am, and I've always had a great relationship with my family. Um, so I grew up playing a lot of sports. Um, you know, from my youngest days, tried basketball. I tried lacrosse. I tried baseball. Uh, I eventually f- I played soccer. Um, I eventually found and fell in love with hockey, and that kind of became my passion. Um, I guess probably when I was like maybe eight or nine years old, that became the only sport that I played anymore. So I started playing and training for that year round. And that continued until I was probably about 18, 19. Uh, And at that point, I fell out of love with hockey. And I kind of just, I actually followed a a Navy SEAL program for about a year that was like a whole bunch of swimming and bodyweight stuff and running. And I did that for a year and lost a whole bunch of weight from where I was. And then I found uh, CrossFit maybe like a year or two later. So I did some weird stuff between hockey and CrossFit. Yeah. But. So what was it that burned you out from hockey? Uh, honestly, it was just – it was too much. Um, it was just too much. Uh, I went away to play prep school my senior year of high school. And we just played like a 57 or a 58-game season. And by the end of the year, um, it just – practice felt like a chore. Like I didn't enjoy getting up early to go to the rink anymore. Um, you know, I just kind of lost that, that love for the game and that drive for it. Um, and once that happened, I mean, there's just no, you know, I don't think there was any amount of, uh, willpower at that point in my life that could have kept me going without a serious love for it. So yeah, just kind of called quits. Yeah. And then you mentioned after that, you kind of got into like the Navy seal, like workout kind of stuff. Did you find yourself kind of like searching for something new? 
Yeah, I mean, I guess I finished ice hockey and I didn't really know what to do with myself other than I wanted to be fit. Like, I, I, I knew that I wanted to stay healthy and be active. Um, and a buddy of mine, my best friend from high school, I was home for the summer and he's like, hey, I found this program. It's like, you know, it's like two hours a day of like nothing but insane amounts of push-ups, pull-ups and sit-ups. And then we just, you swim a whole bunch and you run a lot and you bike a lot and that's about it. And I was like, all right, great. And I was probably like 220 pounds at the time. Mm-hmm. And over the course of like, maybe three or four months, I had dropped down to like 180 pounds. And I actually, uh, I passed out in the gym one day because I was just like, I was lo- like, I, I wasn't eating enough for that training volume. Cause I didn't know any better. I was, you know, I was 19 or 20 years old. <laughs> I was just working out a whole bunch. And I was like, Oh, I'm getting like fit and this is awesome. And then I just like passed out one day and just like fell over in the Y and I was like, huh. And so, yeah, I decided I would eat more food and stop that and do something <laughs> else. So then how did you get connected and how'd you find CrossFit? Um, so that was probably when I was like 20 years old. Um, I studied abroad in Ireland shortly after that when I was in college. And then, uh, when I came back, I started to play hockey again for fun. So I I joined the club hockey team at my uh, university. And one of the guys on the team was this guy, Eamon, and we became friends. And one day he invited me to go to the gym with him because I just gotten back from my semester abroad. And all I wanted to know was like, you know, I just wanted to start moving again, like find something fun. So I started playing hockey. And then as a way to kind of like just stay active while we were in school, he introduced me to CrossFit in the school gym and basically just kind of fell in love with it. And the, the, you know, the, it grew as a part of my life uh, from there over the next like year or so before it became something that was like starting to envelop my life a little bit more. And why'd you decide to go study abroad in Ireland? Uh, My family was from Ireland. Uh, like, uh, you know, like linear, um, yeah. uh, genetically, my family smile and not like my actual parents. Um, <laughs> so like, I always wanted to go and it just like, you know, like just Guinness and pubs and like that whole, just like beautiful country. Like I wanted to experience all that. Um, and I got not lucky. Like I, I moved some of my classes around so that I could have a, I took a bunch of summer classes before I left. And then I overloaded a semester when I came back. So I took 21 credits when I got back and I took like nine or 12 credits the summer before so that when I went abroad, I could take whatever classes I wanted to. So I didn't have to take any business classes. So when I went over there, I took classes on Irish mythology, Irish history, Irish politics, like stuff like that. So I could learn about like the country of Ireland while I was there rather than, you know, be sitting in a university learning accounting in a different country. I wanted to like... I wanted to do something a little different, a little more fun. And it, it worked out that way and worked out really well. And then what really hooked you in about CrossFit? Um, I mean, I guess it was just new. Like when I, when I first started it, like there were so many new things that I'd never tried before. And like, um, you know, I always kind of found, like I always needed something different in the training room to kind of keep me excited. And that's why, like when I tried that, like buds program, you know, it was just different. It was new, it was fun. And then eventually when I found CrossFit, it was kind of the same thing. Like there was just so many exercises to choose from that it just seemed like something that could entertain me for a really long time. So, um, you know, we started it and we were doing it three days a week, just kind of making up workouts by ourselves and just picking stuff from like main site or whatever. Um, and it went on like that for probably the better part of like six months. And then that friendship and that relationship with CrossFit kind of grew and my gym, uh, our gym, my, so the guy, Eamon, who I introduced me to CrossFit, he and I ended up opening a gym and our relationship grew and it kind of eventually grew into the gym, uh, over the course of, I guess the next like year from when I started ish. Then when did you kind of decide you wanted to get competitive and you wanted to try and compete? 
so I started CrossFit in, I guess, like January of 2012. And I probably didn't really want to do anything even remotely competitive with it until I guess the, I did my first open in 2012. And then in 2013, when I did the open, I had kind of like, you know, just by training more, I had gained some skills and like, I realized that I was pretty like, you know, I, I think I was 2013, 2013 was my first regional. So I qualified for regionals by the skin of my teeth. Yeah. Like I was like the, the fourth backfill invite. Like it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't pretty at all, but we got it done. Um, and I kind of like, once I qualified, I was like, Oh, there's like competitions in CrossFit and that sounds kind of cool. So you know, once, once that came around and I went to my first regional, it did not go well. Um, (laughs) that was kind of like, I feel like my CrossFit story is littered with things that didn't go very well. And like, that's kind of what made me into the athlete I am today is just like those, you know, I mean, they're not failures, but they were at the time, like, you know, now they made me who I am and I wouldn't be where I am without them. But at the time they were definitely like huge setbacks. Um, and they were, there was more than a, there's been more than a couple of them. Mm -hmm. So and you mentioned accounting earlier. Is that what you studied in school? Yeah, I studied accounting in my undergrad program, and then I got a master's in accounting as well. So I and I actually, funny enough, I knew I wanted to do that from a young age. Like my dad was an accountant, his dad was an accountant, Jeez. so it kind of like, uh, you know, kind of ran in the family. And like I just like when I was in high school, I took accounting classes my freshman year, and I took entrepreneurship classes, and like I kind of knew that was where I wanted to go. So like as nerdy as it was like, yeah, I wanted to be a pro hockey player, but I also kind of knew that I wanted to, you know, I wanted to do accounting because it was a, a realistic life goal that I could pursue. <laughs> so then coming out of school, did you go work in accounting for a while? Uh, I actually, so I did an internship with an accounting firm, uh, KPMG down in Philadelphia, and I had accepted a job in their audit department. So it had gone well and I had signed, sealed, delivered the contract. And that was in, 20 the beginning of 2013 um and over the course of that summer after i graduated i was supposed to go into my full-time start date and i basically delayed the offer at first because our gym was doing pretty well and we wanted to stay in ithaca a little bit longer before i took um you know my full-time job and my business partner did the same uh, at a different company Mm -hmm. um so yeah i basically pushed it back a couple months but the gym kept doing very well and i eventually uh, just rescinded the offer and decided to, to do this full time. And what was the reaction to that? Were people wondering what you were doing? Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> like my parents, my parents have always been like, again, I've had a great relationship with them. They've always been very supportive. So like they kind of knew what was going on, but they didn't really at the time, like neither of them had did, done CrossFit or they knew that I had opened up a, a gym of some kind when I was in, like, they were very supportive, but they didn't really know what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the nice thing was that like, when I stepped back, like I was still studying to take my CPA. So like, it wasn't as if I had like, just kind of cut all ties with accounting on, on day one, like I was still studying to take a section of the CPA. And like, I had, I was still kind of, uh, I guess, padding like my options to make sure that if the gym didn't work out, then I still had some things to, you know, like there were still options there for me to go back into accounting. Um, but the gym just kept doing better and better and we kept expanding. So we didn't, I never needed to pursue that, uh, that option. So you said, um, so you had a long journey to get to the games. You started at regionals in 2013 and didn't make it to the games till 2017. And you mentioned a lot of like failures along the way and, I'm just, I guess I'm wondering whether, was there ever a moment where you kind of thought like of giving up on CrossFit? Um, 
No, I'm not. I'm a really stubborn person, just kind of like by nature. Like I, yeah. I don't. I just, I don't. Um, you know, I, I have trouble dealing with the fact that I can't do something, and like I will, I will work very hard to try and do something, and it takes a lot for me to really just like throw in the towel and be like, you know what, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't really ever think of something that like made me feel that way. Um, but yeah, so I mean, there was definitely times throughout the like kind of throughout the journey, like I guess I didn't really think I could qualify for the games until probably like 2015 I thought I might be able to and then 2016 I had a like bad year at regionals and I think like I definitely was I was doubting like you know I I didn't really I don't think I really believed I could make the games like wholeheartedly Mm -hmm. until I mean, realistically, 2017. Like when the Open came around in 2017, I I did really well. It was my best Open finish, and I think like that was the moment where like just looking at my Open performances and how I felt in a bunch of other areas, I was like, you know what, I I think I like I can really do this this year. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of ups and downs in between there, and like yeah, there was mm-hmm. there was a lot of things that happened. So then 2017 rolls around, and you finally break through and make the games. What was that like for you? Uh, I mean, it's definitely. It was definitely like one of those rare moments in your life where like everything kind of just works, like everything works out, like all the hard work comes together, a good weekend comes together, like, you know, your body's feeling great, like the whole universe just kind of aligns Mm -hmm. for you. And like that feeling doesn't, you know, just doesn't happen that way often in life. Like you don't, you don't always get to see your hard work come to fruition in a couple of years or even a couple of decades. Like sometimes you just, you know, it takes a lot longer than you, than you hope or than you think. Um, but yeah, I mean that, like that feeling of, especially in like the super regional format. And I had, there was probably like 60 or 70 people from my gym there, including like my fiance at the time, now wife, like my parents, family, all that stuff. So there was just like this massive community there. And the thing that's like sticks out the most is that. So the first or not the first event, the second event that weekend was the dumbbell snatches and ring dips event. And I uh, was in the top heat and I remember like very like explicitly I was in my final set and the announcer is like basically said something to the effect of like it's uh, you know Frazier and Paulson are fighting for the lead and I was like holy shit like (laughs) this like this event's going really well and just like like I heard that kind of like in my like subconscious and that was like such a defining moment of being like, Oh wow. Like I'm at the top of an event against the fittest dude. And like one of the fittest dudes in the world. And I ended up winning the event. And like, I just remember crossing the finish line for that event. And like, I, I blew out my vocal cords, like screaming because I was just so fired up. And like that kind of, that really set the tone for me for the whole weekend, like to, to win an event and like to really have like, you know, in an in-person competition, have all those, um, you know, positive vibes I had from the open to have them all kind of solidified. Like that was a, that was a big, um, that was a big start. I was pretty, I was pretty fired up about that. What regional was that? Uh, that was the East regional back in 2017. So that was like, yeah, the East regional was always stacked, but that was the last year that Matt and Pat were both there. Um, so that was Matt's last year in the East regional. And then Pat came in second that year and I came in third. Gotcha. So you get to the games did you kind of think like, now what? Like I got here, like now what? Yeah. I mean, definitely. And like the first year there was the first year there, I think was probably my, I'll say it's probably my fondest memory and my favorite of like, as an overall experience in competition only because 
I didn't have any expectations for myself. Like the goal was just like, like, Hey, you're here, man. Like, you don't know if you'll be back here, like no expectations on yourself. Just show up, work hard every single event, give it everything you got and just embrace the whole weekend. Like take in the crowd, take in the environment. Like, you know, like I just, I had such a, such a care, not, I mean, carefree is the wrong word, but to a certain extent, like a carefree mindset of just like love this experience for everything that it is. And I think like, I got away from that a little bit in 2018 and 2019, as I start started to set some more expectations on myself. And it took a little bit of the, um, I wouldn't say the joy, but it just, it took, it took something out of it. And I think it, it yielded some less than stellar performances because of those expectations. Whereas in 2017, because I was a rookie, I didn't have them, you know, it was just like, just show up, have a great time, love every minute of it. And I did. And, yeah, it was definitely like, it was a dream weekend, you know, it was over before you knew it. And like, right after it happened, you just want to be back again. And mm-hmm. like, that's kind of continued ever mm-hmm. since like the weekend finishes and you're, you're happy, but you're, you know, you're pissed off and you're hungry and you're this and you're all these things and you just want to go back again so you can do it again and improve and, you know, kind of put in more work. Yeah. It's kind of amazing how sometimes you do the best when you have the lowest expectations, I guess. Like- yeah. And it's like, I think for me personally, like, so I competed in Ireland in November and that was my best finish at a live competition since, I mean, basically since regionals in like 2018, like I'd had a rough string of competitions, a couple, you know, the games didn't go my way in 2019. Like, you know, I didn't have a great sanction season that year. And I think a lot of it was just like in training, I'm so focused on my process and like just kind of the like the the small steps and the minutiae that I can do to make the to make the you know to make myself better. But I also love training and like I just I have this there's this certain level of calm that goes into every day of training and um, I would always get rid of that in 2018 and 2019 when I went to compete and like my my expectations for myself would override the sense of joy and like the the innate. Um, just like desire to compete and to, to prove to myself that I was, you know, good at this event or this one, or like just to really test myself. And like, so I kind of lost sight of that in 2018 and 2019. And I feel like I really got it back when I was in Ireland this past November. Like I, I had a great weekend, you know, I was, I wasn't overstressing myself. I wasn't putting too much pressure on myself and I had a great finish. And I think like, to me, that's just, it was a reaffirmation that like, that's the way that I compete best. And it gave me a lot to kind of try and apply through this season. So I've got two sanctioned events coming up and I'm going to California and then I'm going to Iceland. So I have two really cool opportunities to try and, you know, redo what I did in Ireland, like Mm -hmm. to keep that, to keep the mood light, but serious. And just to, you know, remove those expectations and kind of just let me do my thing. Now, do you like this whole sanctional season that there is now? Like CrossFit's like a whole season now, never really stops anymore. Yeah. I mean, I I like it. Um, it's growing on me. Yeah. I think there was definitely the the linear fashion of region of open regionals games was nice. Um, but you know, it definitely does give you a lot more opportunities to get out there as an athlete and there's opportunities to, to travel and expand your brand. And like, there's just, there are a lot of things that you can do now if you want to. Um, but the only, I guess not problem is if you don't want to, then it could be seen as kind of a pain in the ass. You know, like if there are things going on in your life where traveling is tough or, um, you know, whether you can't afford it or it's just like hard scheduling wise, like then it could definitely be a bit of a, 
a bit of a burden. Um, but that's why my coach and I put so much focus on the open mm-hmm. is because we want to try and as long as the open's a qualifying route, we really want to solidify that spot through the open so that we have a lot of flexibility planning out the rest of the year. And we don't mm-hmm. feel like we're kind of under the gun with this new, this new format. And do you ever see the games going away and it just being a bunch of sanctionals? Maybe, oh, I like, think that's everyone's biggest nightmare. Yeah. Like, I mean, maybe not nightmare. Like some people might like that, but or, I think like, there's maybe becoming like golf where there's like majors, but yeah. no big games, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, I could definitely see it. And I think we'll, after this year's games, we'll have a very good idea of if that may or may not happen because once this whole title sponsor thing kind of happens and like, we find out if there are going to be multiple smaller sponsors or like, because at the end of the day, if the games doesn't have prize money on the line, there's no reason that another competition, like right now the games is, uh, it has a history behind it, obviously. So like, that's one reason why it's such a prestigious event. But the other thing is there's more money up for grabs than at any other competition. So like, you know, that makes it the pinnacle because, guys will put as much, you know, guys and girls competitors will put as much as they can into it for those big purses, because, you know, it's an opportunity to, you know, really professionalize yourself. Um, whereas I think if that, if that prize money goes away or significantly decreases, then it's kind of hard to say how long just the legacy of being the games will keep the games as the premier event for the season. You know, so I think, like I said, it could go either way, and I think this year we'll get a good idea of that depending on kind of how this whole sponsorship thing goes. Yeah, it's, that's really interesting, actually. So then fast-forwarding to the games in 2019, mm-hmm. you qualify and you get cut after the first event. What was that like for you? Uh, I mean, it was basically the worst. Um, like, you know, it, as, a, Understandable. as far as athletic letdowns go, um, you know, so I've, I've had a lot of slip ups in my CrossFit career. My, my first regional in 2013, um, I DNF'd on the first event. Mm-hmm. So I walked in, it was a three rep max overhead squat. I failed to hit three reps at my opening weight and I was, uh, I wasn't allowed to finish the weekend. And then in 2015, I had a massive debacle on legless rope climbs and that might've been 14. And then in 2016, we had strict muscle-ups, and that was like a massive kind of hole-in-the-game failure for me. Um, so, I mean, those three years, there was like a big setback at, at regionals that just really like showed me that I had some things to work on. So, going into the games in 2019, <clears throat> I saw the event, and I was nervous because mm-hmm. legless rope climbs aren't great for me. Like, that's something that we work really hard on, and we've put a lot, a lot of work in, but there's just, you know, there's a long way to go. Um, but I mean, as far as like the event itself, it's a, I mean, like failures of that level don't come along often. And actually like, I, I was listening to a podcast that Brent Fikowski gave recently that just said that, um, like systems are best tested under extreme failures and you often find the best system when the worst stuff happens. So I think for me, like as horrible as that event was and as like much as the aftermath was like emotionally crushing and like the days after were so bad, it really tested my resolve as a person and as an athlete. And like I, the amount of work that we've put in since then and like the amount of drive that I've had to come back and to really like to fix those holes and to put in work like we never have before, like I wouldn't, if things hadn't gone so badly, I wouldn't be working as diligently or in, in a new way as I am now, you know, like, like I, I may have continued a little bit more kind of 
as things were, if it didn't go so disastrously, mm-hmm. like if I had made it through and I had not gotten cut, but I just done poorly, it's hard to say if we would have responded as aggressively as we did, you know, mm-hmm. like, like we, we went like back to the building blocks. Like we went back to just hanging from a pull-up bar, like for a long period, like literally like just back to the very basics of like, you can't hang long enough. You need to hang longer. Like, you know, it's like, and that, I don't know if that, that like, that explosive reaction may not have happened if it didn't go so badly. So I'm, I'm confident that like in the long-term trajectory trajectory of me as an athlete, like I, I won't say it needed to happen because I really wish it didn't, but like, you know, I, I think it'll be a good thing for me as from a development standpoint. Yeah. I mean, like I think failures like has a way of kind of giving people a wake up call in a way like that year that Matt Frazier got second at the games. If he would have won, maybe it wouldn't be, maybe we wouldn't be telling the same story we are now. No, for sure. I mean, that's like, you know, there's no, like people think success is the greatest motivator, but I mean, I don't really think it is like success is like a pat on the back. Like it it feels good. Like when you have success, it's like, Oh, you know, I'm doing the right things. That's cool. But it doesn't, you know, you, you kind of assume that the things that you're doing are working. So you're not necessarily, it's easy to get complacent and not have as much of a growth mindset when things are going really well. Whereas when something goes horribly wrong, like you're, you're forced to really reevaluate your systems and like, what's, you know, what's going on in your life. And like, that was, you know, so I think failure is a crucial part of, you know, a lot of people's journeys depending on how you handle it. And did you notice kind of when it first happened, you were really angry, kind of like at external things. And then you eventually like did the mindset ever change? You kind of started to look inside yourself and. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was angry as hell. Like I I was angry at everybody. Like I was angry at myself. I was angry at the programming. I was angry at like everyone. Like, you know, I was just, I was angry because like you're, you know, it's like the, the stages of grief and acceptance. Like you just, you have to let the emotions fly. And for me, like, yeah, the first one was anger. Like I was just, I was pissed because it it felt wrong. It felt like a, you know, all the things that you initially want to think like, it was other circumstances. It wasn't me. Like, you know, it, like I got a bad deal, whatever, like, you know, those, those emotions are, they're often the first ones that you go to, but you know, it's our, you know, it's my job as an athlete. And I think it's our job as humans to like go through those and realize that nine times out of 10, it's not your circumstances, you know, like most of the time it's you. And obviously like, you know, it took a day or so, but once that settled in, like it was easy to look at it and be like, you know what? Yeah. Like, you just weren't, you weren't good enough for that test and that's your fault. Um, you know, so I think it definitely, yeah, there was a lot of emotions in those first couple of days and I've, I've vacillated between anger and disappointment pretty hard for like three or four days. Like there was mm-hmm. mostly those two emotions just, and some sadness, but yeah, there was a lot of, there was a lot of things going on, but I got over the anger relatively quickly because like I said, it just kind of became, um, you know, I, I wanted to prove to myself so badly that it was, I mean, that I can fix it. Like, you know, like, yeah, like it was a horrible finish and it was a bad games experience for me, but like, but I I know I can do better and I know I'm capable of better. So it became this like, you know, kind of like this, just this rallying cry and this turning point for me to show that to myself that I can do it. Yeah. I thought it was amazing that they did that in the first place because you had national champions traveling halfway across the world for one event. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's definitely, like, I don't, yeah. I mean, so like if we get if we get a little bit more analytical, um, you know, just kind of like looking at the games as a big picture removed from the games. Now, like I no longer care about that first cut. I, you know, like it's, I'm like, I'm over it. Like it's, it's given me all of the benefits and all of the doubt and all of the, like, I felt all those emotions so many times that like, I'm good with it. I've come to terms with it. 
Um, but I, the one thing that I hope that they do better this year is just like, you know, just I, the system of the cuts and the way that they're applied and things like that, because just in order for it to be considered a complete and well-rounded test of fitness, I think that most of the athletes or not most, if at least a large portion need to compete in most of those tests in order to prove that it's a well-rounded, you know, test of fitness. Um, so that it stays a test of fitness rather than being a little bit more of a, you know, just like a cutthroat fitness event, you know, like, because if that's what it is, then that's, you know, if that's the direction they go in, that's fine. You know, it's like, but if you want to call it a test of fitness, then everyone has to participate in the test. Like if you're taking a multiple choice test and there's 10 questions and you get the first one wrong and you get his, and you're cut and you get a zero, it's like, what if you knew the other nine questions Yeah. and you would have scored a 90? Like it's, it's really hard to say that that 90%, you know, like it's, it's hard to say that someone is quote unquote a zero because they got the first question wrong when they would have gotten the other nine. Right. Mm-hmm. You know? So I, and I think like looking at the games like that is kind of, you know, again, if that's the way they want to go, that's their choice and we'll adapt and the athletes will, you know, we're resilient. We'll figure it out. But mm-hmm. I, I hope that's not the way that they go because yeah. I think that CrossFit at the end of the day is a test of training methodology and it's a mm-hmm. test of fitness. Yeah. So now you're coming off uh, Wadapalooza, which we were talking a little bit about earlier and you were on a team there. Do you ever see, do you see CrossFit ever transitioning into more of a team sport versus individual? Um, I don't know. I think probably not. No. Um, only because like, you know, like I think like, yeah, like you were talking about earlier, like, you know, CrossFit being kind of like golf. And I, like, I think there's just like that, you know, people love to follow athletes and it's a little bit harder to follow a small team like that. You know, it's like doubles tennis versus singles tennis. Like everyone knows who Roger Frederick is, but very few people know who the top ranked team, you know, doubles yeah. team is in tennis. Like I could, I could <laughs> tell true. you a single doubles team actually. Um, so, I mean, I think, I don't think CrossFit will ever go that way. Um, just because like there's, I, I don't know. I don't know why. I just have that feeling. Yeah. Like I can't think of a good reason. Because it seems like a lot of you guys, a lot of you individual competitors like to go team for fun. Yeah. And I think like, I mean, it is fun. Like teams are fun. It's a good reprieve. Like, you know, it, it's, it's a nice step away from the, the kind of anxiety of individual for people who are fully individual. I'm sure people who are fully committed team don't feel that way. Like obviously their, their team competition is their life. And that's like, you know, so they, they wouldn't feel relaxed at all about that. They may feel the, you know, the opposite way. Um, but I think that the one thing that the, I wish we'd come back in the team competition is like a, an affiliate cup of some kind. Like mm-hmm. I, I always thought that was a cool, like back before they opened it up to super teams, I thought there was just, you know, there's something cool and there's something motivating about having a team that's from your gym. Like it's all local organic athletes, like, you know, and, and setting that up will be kind of hard, but I think like, you know, if we're going to allow national champions, you know, by virtue of just being the fittest in your country to come to the CrossFit games. Like I don't see any reason why there shouldn't be like a short affiliate competition where it's like, you know, teams of people who are just affiliate members, like, you know, four, like four people from the fittest affiliates, you know, they come compete for a day or two. Like mm-hmm. that's, you know, cause I think that's a cool, like that's the, everyone knows that like the, the magic of CrossFit is in the community. It's in the affiliates and it's like, it's what's happening in there and the relationships that are being formed. So I think like that being celebrated will be kind of cool, but that's just me. Yeah, for sure. Had you been to Wadapalooza before this weekend competing? Yeah, I've actually, I think I've competed at Wadapalooza every year since 2014. So I think oh, this wow. is my seventh year there. So what do you think about that event? Because I think it's cooler than the CrossFit Games. Yeah, I mean, it's like, 
it's definitely unique. And I think that's a cool, like the stage is cool. And it like, you know, like the Bayside stage has its own little like mysticism for compet. Like, it's just mm-hmm. like, you know, it's, that's where the swim event happens. And it's like, you're out in the sunshine and the lights are, you know, lights are going, the music's loud. Like, so it's, they do a lot of things really well. And like, yeah, that event has a special place in my heart because that was the first, that was the first major competition that I did before I made like the games or before I went to a super regional because super regionals didn't start till 2015. So when I went to Wadapalooza in 2014, I remember lining up for an event next to Spencer Hendel and Matt Chan. And I was like, (laughs) Whoa, this is legit. Like I'm, I'm on a stage against two of the, you know, fittest dudes and repeat games athletes. Like, so that was a very cool, um, you know, just a cool experience for me because and that's why it's always had just like a, a cool special place. Cause it's a great opportunity to meet competitors from out of your region. And like before this whole sanctional system, you know, I never would have met anybody really outside of the Northeast. Like I would only really know those guys and those are the people I competed against and fraternized with. So it's cool for that event was always an opportunity to get to meet people outside of my own little circle of CrossFit. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Always kind of fun. And the talent there this year was like only outmatched by the CrossFit games. It was unbelievable. I mean, Wadapalooza and Dubai draw, like, those two events, I mean, they draw games level, like, you know, uh, like, uh, crowds. Like, the athletes that compete there, usually you get anywhere from 15 to 20 individual games athletes from recent years in those fields. And that's that's a lot. I mean, even, the, like, the top 30 at the games didn't have that many, you know, like, yeah. other than being that year games athletes, mm-hmm. like, you know, there's a, like, that's a, you know, arguably a deeper field at Wadapalooza or Dubai than, you know, potentially the top 30 at the games last year. Yeah. And everybody was there. If they weren't competing, they were there hanging out. It was unbelievable. Oh yeah. I mean, they had something like 50 or 45,000 spectators come through that weekend. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's definitely whether you're competing or whether you're spectating, it's a very good opportunity to see people and to be seen, you know? So like Mm -hmm. whether it's fulfilling sponsorship obligations for athletes or something like that, like, it's just such a massive spectator event that, you know, it's a great, there's great opportunities for everybody to do something, whether it's compete or whether it's, you know, get your name out there as a brand for a new company or something like that. It's just, there's a lot going on there. Yeah. And it's Miami. So why not? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I would say it's 15 degrees outside and snowing right now. So yeah, Miami was kind of (laughs) nice. So uh, what you mentioned, I think you talked about a little bit earlier, but what other sanctionals are you planning on doing this year? So I'm going to do the West Coast Classic, uh, which is out in California, and that's in Two about weeks, three right? weeks, I think. Yeah, okay. And then after that, I'm going to do Iceland, um, the Reykjavik CrossFit Championship, and the beginning of April. So those two are basically back-to-back. So I have like I think I have a week turnaround in between them. Um, but those will be the last two that I do. So after that, I'm, uh, I'm just going back to training full-time for the games. And you qualified through the Open, correct? Yeah, so I qualified. I think I finished 15th in the Open. So I got my spot through there. And then, um, yeah, so the these sanctioned events are just, you know, they're testing testing grounds just to see how the offseason went, how the training that we've put in so far is doing, mm-hmm. and just what, uh, what adjustments we need to make leading up to the games this summer. And then when you guys were sitting down making a schedule for the season, why did you choose these events? So I chose – actually, Wadapalooza was kind of – I won't say last minute, but, you know, it was a team invite, and I was like, all right, you know, team competition, not as abusive as an individual event, so I'll do that, and I won't miss much training, and that was true. Like, I basically took a day off before and a day off after, and, you know, I'm basically back to normal training. Um, but the other reason that we picked these events was just – so we picked Ireland because it was right after the Open, so the goal was just to carry my fitness that I had from the games, from the Open, and just kind of 
carried into another live competition and see how I did. Uh, and that went pretty well. And then we wanted to do a competition in like the April timeframe because we wanted to do an off season. And then we wanted to have some time to train again to like, you know, attack some weaknesses, shore things up, rebuild a little bit, and then go back in the competition and see how we did. Um, so that's why these two competitions right around the kind of end of March, April line, um, kind of come up. And then the reason we wanted to stop competing then is because we want to have a solid three months to build up for the games, you know, so I'll be done competing early April and then I'll have basically May, June, July, I'll have three and a half months to prepare for the games. So that'll give us a lot of time to, you know, take another off season. So to like really go back to basics, do a lot more grip work, raw pulling power, Mm -hmm. all that stuff, and just kind of really rebuild the foundation um, again and then get back into some high volume training. That'll be actually like, you know, preparatory for the games as far as just uh you know volume goes and intensity goes and now assuming the games is the same and there's the same cut system what's your goal going into the games this year um i mean you know my goal realistically is i want to go to the games and i want to compete like i did in 2017 you know like like i want to go in with with no expectations on myself and i just want to like I want to make the most of every single event. I want to step out on the floor and I want to prove, you know, just purely to myself that I am putting my best self forward every single time. Um, you know, because I got away from doing that and it didn't work very well. Um, but you know, I mean, that being said, like everyone has expectations for themselves. You just can't let them, let them guide what you do. So, you know, like my goal this year, like ultimately my goal is to get into the top 10 of the games. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, that's, that's something for me that I think is it's achievable. And, and, you know, it's, it's something that I can do this year, you know, like it, it's very possible. Um, but like I said, I'm not going to let that drive the way that I compete or the way that I train. That's just something that I, I hope to achieve. Now switching gears for a minute here. When your CrossFit career is over, and you're done competing, what do you want to do? Um, that's a good question. I mean, like, so I'm a, I'm a coach at an affiliate, and we own uh, two gyms here in Ithaca, New York. So, I mean, I, I love coaching, and I love, you know, kind of, like, just interacting with people every day and helping them get better mentally, physically, and, like, just everything that goes into being an affiliate owner. I really enjoy that. So, realistically, that's probably what I'm going to do for – a good long while you know like that's that's going to be what i do as a as a living um but i definitely want to you know i want to parlay all the the energies that i've spent competing and the time that i've spent into like you know just personal development and things like that like whether it's um you know whether it's doing like remote coaching whether in crossfit or just kind of like from a mental training standpoint and like you know uh, just like things that I've changed in my life that have, have given me a lot of success, both from a business standpoint and from like a, an athlete standpoint. Um, I'd love to do something like that. Like I, I really enjoy talking about the mental side of competing and just kind of like the personal development side of it. So, um, you know, I, I'd love to do something like that and maybe with athletes or maybe not. So whether it's, you know, working with up and coming, you know, sanctional or games level athletes and trying to help them just develop the way that I did to have a mindset that allows them to be successful. Um, you know, that's, that's something I think I'd like to pursue at some point. And now with the two affiliates in competing at trying to compete at the games, how do you balance those two? Um, I mean, right now we just have an awesome team. Um, you know, we've got, uh, we have a general manager at the gym who's taken on a lot of responsibilities and has made my life 
tremendously easier. Um, you know, we've got a lot more full-time coaches now who are coaching a lot more classes so that, you know, my kind of workload, uh, like my physical workload is lightened. Um, so, I mean, that's, it's definitely easier now than it has been in the past. Um, like in, in 2017, 2018, that balancing act was a lot harder and it required a lot more, uh, just a lot more time. Whereas now it's definitely, it's an easier balance to strike, um, you know, which makes the whole journey, uh, you know, a little bit more enjoyable and definitely a little bit easier as far as just like overall stress level goes and having to like divide up your days and things like that. Not to say that there aren't hard days, but there's definitely, you know, the, the majority of them are smoother mm-hmm. than they used to be and a little bit more stress-free. Do you have an interest in opening more gyms? Um, I don't think so. Like, I don't, I don't really see myself as like, I don't want to be like a, a serial gym owner. Like I, I love the two gyms that we have. And, um, you know, I think we do, we do a lot of things that are really special and, you know, as far as creating a, a real sense of community and kind of having a, a tight knit group of both coaching staff and then, uh, you know, members as well. Um, and I just think that like that, I don't really want to do that on a massive scale because I'll lose that. Um, yeah. you know, I, I really like, I like being a face in the gym, someone that people come talk to, someone that like, you know, is just very present and has a lot of sway in, uh, you know, the direction that the community takes and the vibe and the atmosphere and things like that. Um, you know, so I don't think I would want to open many more gyms just because it would be hard to maintain that quality, um, you know, from a personal standpoint. And Tim, where can people find you and learn more about you and your gyms and your story? Yeah, so um, my personal Instagram is T Rex Paulson, um, and that's where I post all my training stuff. I do a lot of like I'll talk often about mentality and things like that uh, that goes into my training days and my recovery days. Um, that's the best place. Um, other than that, we've got our two gyms are CrossFit Palace and then Palace Fitness uh, here in Ithaca, New York. So if you're in the Finger Lakes area and you're looking to come get some fitness on, um, you know those are two pretty great options. I like to think so. Um, and yeah, that's basically it. I've got a Facebook, but I don't really do much on it. So no. Instagram's better. Um, do you post every day on Instagram? I do. Um, most every day. And if I'm being honest, some days I wish I didn't, um, (laughs) just because I think that, you know, I mean, like social media takes a lot of time and I run, I run the Instagram account for our, our online programming business. So I, uh, my coach and I, we run an online program called forged by Zeus, um, at forged by Zeus on Instagram. And like we offer programming for all different levels of athletes. And so between running that Instagram page and running my personal Instagram page, you know, it's just a lot of time goes into content development and, you know, just kind of like things like that. And sometimes it's just, it feels like a lot. So like, sometimes I wish I would just be like, I'm not posting today. Like, you know what? It's, it's all good. But I often end up posting because I, you know, I just get introspective and I want to say something. Yeah. I gotcha. Well, Tim, thanks a lot for joining me today. This is a lot of fun. Awesome, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Connor. I appreciate it. And thank you everyone for listening. And I hope you enjoyed episode 113 of this show. We'll see you next time on the Up Before You podcast. Have a great day.